Praise the Lord. I do praise God for the work that he's doing here at the church and uh, so many people who are hard at it, men, women, children alike. It's, uh, it is something to behold and it is very encouraging to me and uh, I know to uh, many others in the church. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray and then we're going to just jump right in the word and get going, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather before you. Uh, praise God that I can look out uh, in, uh, in the faces of your people here and I see hunger for your word. I see hunger for you. Uh, I hear their love for you as they lift up their voices in praise. And I'm so thankful just to even have uh, the opportunity to take part and to, to be uh, a part of it, God. You are awesome. You are amazing. And I'm excited for what you are doing in and through your people. We pray that you bless the word that goes forth this morning. Please hide me behind the cross and please grant me um, humility and um, an opportunity for uh, you to clearly be seen. Uh, that's what we desire in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand to our feet as we uh, read and hear the word of God. We're in Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 19. Six, I'm, I'm sorry, 12 through 19. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me, I'll give you a moment. Hebrews 3, 12 through 19. Let's read together. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You may be seated. <clears throat> may God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So I want to jump in and, and just kind of uh, go ahead and get started this morning as we ask the Lord to bless and um, we ask the Lord to uh, grant us an understanding of his word and to help us to understand just who he is and who we are in Christ. So I want to start this out, though, by really making a, a statement and pointing to a reality that is being challenged in our day and that is that I think we need to wrap our minds around to the, to the greatest degree possible so that we will rightly understand what God is calling us to do and what he's calling us to. So the, I think the continual battle for those who desire to truly be in God's presence and to truly follow after God's call and will in our lives is to try to figure out the balance of what it means to be saved and what it means to live out your faith in active obedient pursuit of the Lord. Now we've talked about this many times and in many ways over the years about how much of Western Christianity and I'm sure it's all over the world how much of it is a profession-based easy believism meaning that a lot of people and a lot of pastors a lot of well-meaning Christians I believe uh, are have convinced themselves and have come to the realization and the thought that our basic call and our basic mission is to go to people share the gospel get them to pray a prayer and we're good. 
And we do want people to see and hear Christ. We do want people to confess him. We do want that. But it falls far short when we understand that that's the goal and not the starting point. That the profession of faith, the confession of Christ, is the point at which one can hopefully rightly say that they've been justified before a holy God. But it is also the place and the point in time where we can rightly say that we have been regenerated unto the Lord and we have been saved for good works that he has prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should do them, that we should move. And so when we stop on either point of those, and, and granted there are some on the backside of that that's all about the doing and not about the being born again. And so it is a continual balancing act and I get that. The key to all of that and the reason I said that is how do we know what is our standard measure? What, what, is, the, what is the tool, the, the gift, the uh, means by which God has gifted us and granted us that we would know what we're supposed to do? And we are to be able to gauge whether or not we are in the faith. And I think that this is very important. And, and I want to point this out to you. So I'm reading this. In chapter 3, and I'm going to start unpacking this in just a moment, but I just want to do this by way of reminder as quickly as I can. So the text says in Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 12, it makes a plea to the brotherhood, to those who are in the visible audience of the author, the visible church, as it were, the group of people who have confessed Christ, who have come into his blessing but now they are teetering and thinking about moving back out. We've already talked about that this is almost certainly uh, Jewish Christians who have professed Christ. They've confessed Christ. They have acknowledged Christ as Lord and Savior. They have moved into the gospel. They have moved into Christianity. And now they are thinking about going back to Judaism or incorporating some of those things in a way that they shouldn't. And Paul, or whoever the author is, up to this point, the apostle, say that, is, is laid, has laid out a magnificent, heavenly, uh, inspired case for the superiority of Jesus Christ and why you can't go back because there is no other destination, there is no other means by which we have access to God than Jesus Christ. He is the final revelation of God. And so here he is speaking to this crowd and he says, take care, he is making a plea to their conscience, to their person. He is making a plea to them. He is drawing them and encouraging them and he is pleading with them to not go back, to make a decision, to take, a act, to take an action, to make a choice. Okay? And he says, take care, brothers, lest there be, any, uh, lest there be in any of you an, um, uh, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He's saying, be careful, take care. He, he says, uh, think about it. Uh, he says, consider. He says, be very careful. Don't, do, don't, don't let any root of bitterness, don't let any unbelieving heart, don't let anything set up in you that would take you away, that would make you fall away from this place you're at. He says, be careful. Well, the, re the reason I want to jump off and, and do a little bit of an introductory here is because we have, we have this easy believism that we say, listen, you can kind of just have your way and believe what you would like, and let's just get you in the door, and we'll sort all of that out later. And the idea is, is the, is the whole word of God the word of God? Is the entire entirety of Scripture the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God that is the rule and measure of our faith, of life, of living, of walking, of worshiping, of being saved? Is it the standard by which we examine ourselves, our ministries, 
how we consider how to minister to other people, how to raise our children, how to love our wives, how to love our husbands, how to serve our wives, how to submit to our husbands, how to be impactful in our communities, how to disciple others after salvation or justification. And if we say that the scriptures need not be inspired in order to come into this relationship with Christ, what we do is we, we say, well, salvation is really just praying and escaping judgment. And we'll figure the rest out later. The problem is, is that we don't even know what salvation is without the inerrant, accurate word of God that describes to us what this thing is. How do we know what it means to come in? And what I submit to you today, brothers and sisters, is that Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 12 and probably a little before that, is going to give us the method and the, uh, and the example, the comparison for us to understand the thrust of much of the rest of the book, especially through chapter 6. In chapter 6, there is a place where it says that those who have tasted the heavenly gift and participated in the things of, a spirit, of the Spirit, if they continue on or if they fall into the sins, if they move away from that, then they have moved away from Christ. There no longer remains a sacrifice for them. There, there no longer remains forgiveness for them. And this chapter, these, this section is used to set forth the idea that one can lose their salvation. Okay? Starting here, and now this is why the inerrancy of Scripture, the whole thing, is so massively essential and important and crucial for Christianity. Because if we only hold to the accuracy of one small part then it does a couple of things. One, it calls into question the whole. The scriptures rise and fall together. We have no basis for understanding or gauging which part is accurate and which part isn't. And it lends itself to a postmodern subjectivism that says, I decide which portions are relevant and I will obey what I would like to obey. And we refuse or have the opportunity to refuse to obey the others as if they are not from God, which leads us, in my opinion, to a place of hard-heartedness that would convince us in our minds that we have come to the place of believing in the living God when in all actuality we curse his name and disobey and prove ourselves not to be in his kingdom at every turn while we have come to the realization and convinced ourselves that we were not in disobedience because that part is not inspired. Therefore, the inerrancy of the scriptures is essential to the Christian faith. Salvation, knowing what it is, and for Christian living. And in this portion here, the reason I point that out is because our understanding of Hebrews chapter 6, whether or not we can come in and out of our salvation and our the surety of our salvation is based on the consistency of our works and of our own righteousness and how well we obey. If that's the case, then our salvation is teetering on the edge of disaster because you and I both know the standard set forth by Jesus Christ is that we be pure of heart, not even just external commands and obedience. Jesus has said, You've seen it written, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, every man who's looked on a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. And the same thing about murder. You can go your whole lifetime without strangling the life out of a man. But have murdered every single day if you have hate in your heart. Now, please tell me, brothers and sisters, which one of you could pass that test even according to your own standards? If it is possible for us to lose our salvation because of our mistakes, then we are all doomed to perish. 
But since we are sure that the scriptures are inerrant and accurate and infallible in every part, we can test our understandings of Hebrews 6 with the rest of scripture. And it allows us to be sure in what we understand and what we believe and that we did not pluck it out of where it was supposed to, what it was supposed to be and where it was supposed to come from based on our own opinions, desires, or whatever else you might say. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 3. And while you've got your finger on Hebrews chapter 3, I want to remind you of Hebrews chapter 2. It says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Remember that? And we had talked about this uh, text in pretty, pretty detailed um, conversation and, and uh, exegesis. And we said that what he's saying here is the therefore comes out of the superiority of Christ to angels and what the great salvation is. And he's saying, listen, if this is true of Jesus Christ and it's true that those who are in Christ are heirs, they have received such a great salvation, then we are to pay close attention. And we go on to say, why should we pay close attention? Because if we don't pay close attention and if we're not keeping our eyes on Christ and if we're not examining ourselves, then it is very likely that we could drift away and that we could start to, uh, th that we could start to move away from the Lord Jesus Christ who has proven that he is the only way. And if you drift away from Christ and if you're off course and if you're found in the end not to be in Christ, then you have been, then you have been ruined. You, there is no plan B. There is no other place to go. And the question starts to arise, well, does that mean that I can be in Christ and then drift and then not be in Christ? Can I truly be in Christ and then because of my lack of paying attention, because of my lack of committedness, then not be in Christ altogether? It's a legitimate question when we read these texts. It is a legitimate concern that we should ask the question, is it true that my salvation, my, the continued uh, salvation, the continued uh, atonement, the continued forgiveness, the steadfastness of my relationship with Christ, is it dependent on me? Is it dependent on my ability to pay attention and get it right? Is it dependent on me? Or is this teaching us something else? Should we understand this another way? I'm going to suggest to you today that chapter 3, verse 12 begins to show us how that is to be understood when we seem to be in Christ and then we fall away and fall into despair, fall into hard-heartedness and unforgiveness. So let's start to break down the text a little bit in Hebrews chapter 3 starting in verse 12. <coughs> Robert told me I needed to shorten up my introductions. I tried, brother, sorry. I'm terrible at time. It's okay, though. May the Lord be glorified. All right, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Take care, brothers. Now, this is going to be pretty important. He's calling brothers, okay? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, I think that it's fairly clear that he is addressing brothers here. That's how he addresses them, okay? Which poses a little bit of an issue for us that believe in the perseverance of the saints or in the security of the believer. Namely, that when you're truly saved, you're saved, bro. You're in. When you're in, you're in. It, when you are in, when you're regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are born into the family of God. You are. That's why I say, you're, you know, Jesus told uh, uh, Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again, Right? You must be born again, and when you're born again, you come into the family of God, and you are a child of God. And we need to ask the question then, well, does, does God, does he cut his children off? Is it possible to be in? Is it possible to be a child of God? And then for you to do something that he does not like, for you to not take care, for you to not pay much closer attention, and for him to say, 
listen, you were my child, I brought you in, but I can't put up with this, I cut you off and you're back out on the street. Is that the reality? I think we need to ask this question because what he's saying is, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This is a legitimate question. Before we get to that, and we will address that momentarily, I want to look at the actual pieces of this uh, right now. He says, be careful, take care, lest there be uh, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another uh, every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is going to be important here, that none of you may be hardened. So I've kind of just put a subtitle over this that is pretty, you know, simple, pretty practical, daily examinations for internal impurities. So What's a very practical way that we can understand what this text is, is how it can be meaningful to us? What's the application? So we know the context. We know that the apostle here is speaking to uh, Jewish believers who have professed Christ. They've confessed Christ. They have come into the church. They have come into the gathering. And now they're, they're toying with the idea of going back to Judaism, going back to the law, going back to Moses, going back to the old way of thinking, the old covenant. He's going to say later on, it's like, look, you don't need the old covenant. It's obsolete. What is, uh, you know, what is growing uh, obsolete is it's ready to fade away. He said there's, the new covenant is better. It's built on better promises. You, there, you don't need to go back to the old covenant. Now, that doesn't mean that the old covenant is not significant to us. There's many beautiful, beautiful, beautiful truths in the, in the old covenant, in the in the Torah, in, in, in the uh, prophets, in, in, all of the, in all of the Old Covenant. We read of it and we understand even in Hebrews as well, chapter 8, that these are types and shadows, that these help us to gain great insights on who Christ is, how Christ works in his body, how Christ works in the bride. And so we, we cherish the Old Covenant, but we understand that there's been a, transmission, a transition from one administration to another. And, and here he's talking to these guys, and he is saying, look, examine yourselves. Take care lest you fall back, lest you fall back out of this thing. Uh, and he'll give an example here in a little bit. But how do we apply that to us? I think that it's pretty clear that we just need to examine ourselves. We are not far removed from the Hebrew situation, from the Jewish situation, that you have come out of one worldview. You've come out of one system into another system. You've come out of the world system into the the, the economy of God, into the family of God, and you're oftentimes uh, tempted and the enemy seeks to lure you back into your old way of thinking, into uh, going back to the things of your old life that gave you purpose, that gave you meaning, that gave you identity, right? That gave you pleasure. And God is here in the, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, he's calling unto you. And he says, look, take care, brothers, lest there be any uh, evil, unbelieving heart in you. You need to examine yourself. Paul tells us this in other words. We see it all throughout the scripture. You need to examine yourselves unless, you know, lest you would, uh, unless an, evil, uh, an unbelieving heart will, is leading you to fall away from the living God. You see how important it is that we believe and hold to the inerrancy of scripture because if we're saying to people who we get saved that, you know, Jesus just loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And if you say this prayer, you're good till the end. It doesn't matter what happened. Well, is that, it? I mean, have we washed this away? Have we forgot about this text when we talk to our, when we evangelize people in this way? When we tell people, look, you just pray the prayer. You go down that aisle and you pray the prayer and you're saved. You don't have to ever worry about it again. There's, there's, you, it's, it's done. It's done. And, if, and it doesn't matter what your life looks like. Is that accurate? Do we need this text to buffer that and to help us to see that? No, 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 it, it matters. It matters. The rest of your life matters. How you walk matters. How you live matters. How obedient you are to the, to the living God. It matters. It is not irrelevant. It is not uh, worthless. It matters that we need to examine ourselves. He's saying, look, and all of you, me, we need to examine ourselves unless we fall away. So the first thing is, is that we need <laughs> the internal devils in disguise are some of our greatest enemies and threats. 
Is he saying, be careful lest outsiders lead you away? No, no, no. He's saying, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And belief and unbelief are going to be a huge part of this. So right off the rip, right out of the gate, we're starting to see this distinction of what we need to understand, this distinction between those who are truly saved and those who are not truly saved, but they have experienced the blessings of God to a certain degree. And let me say up front as well as we move on, that everybody on the face of the earth for all time has experienced the blessings of God to some degree. It's called common grace. And what we'll see in this text here is, is that, and we may jump around a little bit, Romans chapter 1 is very clear. For the God of this world, the God of the universe, the God in heaven, he has clearly and plainly made himself visible to everyone in the creation. For all of creation proclaims his name. It all shows his glory. And although they knew him, they suppressed the truth in unrighteousness and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Is that God has been raining down blessings on everyone, including the wicked. So as we move through here, we understand that what he's saying is, is that look, what you need to do is that you need to examine yourselves to see whether or not your, your heart, your internal, and the heart here is not talking about the emotions. It's surely part of it. But what the heart here in the scripture, it's about the whole inner being. It's about the, 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 the person, his inner man, that your inmost parts, your longings, your desires are wrapped around, focused on, leaning toward, and longing for the God of the universe, toward Christ. And he's saying, look, this is what we have been talking about this morning, is that why do you do what you do? Why are you going through these motions? Do you know how dangerous church can be? I've said this many times. The church pew or the chair row is the easiest place to hide from the fact that you don't love God. Because while we may have an outward appearance of holiness, oftentimes inside we are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. And we go to church and we sit amongst believers and we check a box and we say, I've done my duty for the day, but our heart is an unbelieving heart turned not toward the wonders and mercies and glory of God but turned toward ourselves that we might do our duty appease God with our own actions you know because we're so amazing and then go on our way that we might be glorified in everybody around us so be careful lest there be an unbelieving an evil unbelieving heart in any of us, in the, that leads us to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Secondly, so internal devils in disguise are some of our greatest enemies and threats, if not the greatest enemy. It's your own internal spirit. It's your own internal heart that, that is your greatest threat, and you need to examine it, and you need to lead your heart. Everybody's saying, oh, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. No, you lead your heart. Now, there is a key point, and if you're truly born again, you do receive a what? A new heart. That the heart of stone is removed and, and there's a heart of flesh that beats for the Lord Jesus. And you can follow that heart. But here's the deal. You have to examine that heart to see where he's leading you first. You have to examine that heart. You say, all right, heart, where do you want to go? And if the heart says, let's go over here, away from Jesus... We lead the heart. David said, bless the Lord, O my soul. 
I will bless him. Well, if the internal devils in disguise are some of the greatest enemies and threats, the external brothers in arms are some of our greatest guardians and defenders. Because the text says, but exhort one another every day, every day, as long as it is called today. I thought this was uh, pretty interesting and uh, it got my mind running pretty good. Uh, I want to point out, it says, as long as, so how, how long should we encourage one another? Exhort one another. Every day, as long as it is called today, right? So every day, as long as it is called today. Isn't this, the, isn't this two ways of saying the same thing? He says, every day, and then he adds this. We would ask, okay, every day, but how long? He says, as long as, as it is called today. Well, how long is that? Every choice that has ever been made by man originated on a day called today. <laughs> Every single action and choice that you have ever thought, in the moment it was originated, it was originated and happened on a day called today. Why? Because every day that you exist in is called today. From the beginning to the end. And not to get into a big philosophical or way out there theological concept. But I've got a feeling that when the final day comes, we will live in a continual ongoing today. Because there is no night, so there can be no tomorrow. We fully live in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in an everyday, all day today. <laughs> That's for another sermon. But what I do know here is is that if you're going to exhort one another to stay firm and steadfast, and we'll get to a little bit more in a second, every day, as long as it's called today, then that's every day for the rest of your entire life. That we are to examine ourselves, that we are to exhort one another, and that we are to hold each other accountable, and that we are to guard each other. The brothers in the faith, the brothers in arms, are some of the greatest guardians and defenders. Here, uh oh, sorry. I want to point, I put that in there for a reason. Now, the inerrancy of Scripture is, is under attack. Uh, the, um, the word, you know, living, to the, living according to the word is an outdated idea. But at the end of the day, how is it that our brothers are to exhort us? How is it that they are to, um, to, to help us to not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? And there's so much here, and I, I need to move rather quickly, but I do want to point this out. Watch what it says here. Every day, as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Well, look at this word right here, deceitfulness. Okay, so how can a brother but exhort one another, uh, so brothers and sisters, how are other believers to exhort you, or how are we to exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that, so that, in order that, for the purposes of, none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of of sin. Well, what is deceitfulness? Huh? Lies. So what is the only weapon that you have to protect your brother, your sister against lies? Truth. What is the truth? The word of God. Does that, does that phraseology remind you of anything? How about John chapter 17 when, when the Lord prays, Jesus prays, he says, Father, keep them. Keep them, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. Isn't uh, the, the apostle, the, the author of Hebrews here, isn't he exhorting us to be Christ-like and to be vessels used by God to carry out the very prayer that Jesus Christ prayed? That we would exhort one another, that we would hold each other accountable to the truthfulness of the word of God so that we would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, how does hardening happen? Okay, let's get real here for just a moment. Okay, let's get away from this for a second. Hardness happens by repeated exposure to a certain element or a certain uh, behavior or a certain type of thought or whatever it might be hardness comes with ongoing exposure let's say it that way okay 
Uh, I've been doing a new workout lately with Chris. Uh, we've challenged each other to do this workout. It involves a bunch of pull-ups. And I was uh, chilling with Heather last night. I was watching some TV, and um, I reached out, and, and she grabbed my hand, and we're holding hands. And she's like, your hand is rough. She's like, rougher than normal. What's going on? You know, she's all soft and nice. And Hey, what's up, girl? <laughs> She's all, she's all just soft and just, you know, man, you know, I just like to just rub her face sometimes. <laughs> but it's like I can scratch my wife's back without even using my fingernails because my hands are like, <laughs> right? Why? Why are they harder now than they were even, well, we started that, what, six weeks ago? Why are they a lot harder now than they were six weeks ago? Because we've been doing all these pull-ups, and it's continued exposure over and over to this same, my hands just, all, all the time, bang, bang, bang. And so I've got calluses, hard calluses all over my hands. It's the same way, the same reason a working man has calluses on his hands. You show me a man who has soft hands, I mean, maybe he's a dishwasher somewhere. Maybe he's lazy, right? But continued exposure. Now, it's not just about the physical either, right? That's why calluses develop, because it's continued exposure to rubbing or whatever. Well, it's the same way with sin. It's the same way with... It's the same way with, with anything that we can think of. I'll, I'll give you one. Uh, lots of men struggle with pornography. Okay? And, it, and at first they fall into this struggle by seeing something that they shouldn't see. And they're soft. You know, it, and I'm talking about men maybe who love the Lord, right? And they see this flash before them. And they're like, oh, that, oh, it hurt. You know, they turn off the TV. They throw out the computer. They're like, no, I love the Lord. They're soft to it. They feel it sting, right? They feel it sting. But then maybe they got tempted and they were got, you know, a little curious. And so they, they tapped on and they watched for 10 seconds. And they're like, I can't do this. Why did they say I can't do this? Because they were soft to the Lord. They were soft to the Lord. And they gave in to that temptation. They tapped on. They looked, they looked for another Two minutes, three minutes. Oh, I can't do this. Turn it off because the, they were sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The Word of God, they knew. They knew. But they chose, they chose sin. So they let, allowed it back in. Now they find themselves watching five minutes. Ten minutes. Before you know it, they've ruined their whole day. Ruin their whole family. The type that they were looking at wasn't disgusting and sinful enough, so they had to go on to more disgusting stuff. And by the end, and some of you know what I'm talking about, by the end of it, you were looking at things that disgusted even you, but you couldn't look away because you had become hardened to sin. You'd become, you'd become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's one example, one small example. How do we avoid that? Boy, it, this is why the Word of God is so important. So you got somebody that comes, that, that they come into the faith. You, you, you have shared the gospel with somebody. They got saved. Woo! Praise the Lord! Added another one to the kingdom today. Did my job. Done with you. Go in peace and no more. Never even talk to them again. Maybe they're saved. Maybe they had an emotional reaction. I don't know. Maybe they checked a box. I have no idea. And we pull them in. We disciple them. We show them in the Word of God so that when these tests come and these trials come, they know how to stand. And when the deceitfulness of sin starts to lure them away and it starts to prick at them and poke at them, we can come in and step into their life in love and, ex and exhortation and encouragement and say, Brother, don't let that in. Sister, don't let that in. Don't you know that that will ruin you? Don't you know that that will lead you away from a godly life and the blessings of God and that there, there is no place. There is no place of blessing once you have turned your back completely on the, on the living God. Don't you know? 
We must guard each other. We must guard each other. And we do that every day, as long as it is today. This reality will exist until the end. For you can, for you can live in no other day than today. The confidence is an active belief in the rest of your todays. This is a good point, and, and it'll be my last point. It says that you might not be hardened by the sickness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ. For we have come to share, here was that big question, in Christ, okay? Now, I want you to watch what he says. He says, take care, brothers. Now, they are in the visible church. They seem to be believers, okay? Let's grant that. Let's just grant that they are believers, okay? At this point, there is nothing to lead us to believe that they have not shared in Christ. So you cannot be a child of God outside of the Lord Jesus Christ because in Christ is the propitiation of sin that pays your sin debt, clears you of the house, not only clears you of the house, but buys your adoption as sons by which you come into Jesus Christ and you are now heirs according to the promise, okay? So there is no reason to think that they have not become heirs or sharers in Christ. That's why they're called brothers. But he says, take care, brothers, those of you who seem to have shared in Christ or those of you who have shared in Christ, granted, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart. He says, be careful, brothers, be careful, those of you who have shared in Christ, that there's not an unbelieving heart in there. Be careful and make sure that you're examining yourself for that unbelieving heart. Peer deep inside. Examine your heart. See your motives. Who do you love? What do you love? Where do you find your identity? And make sure that you are exhorting one another and guarding one another, lest any of you be convinced that you are in Christ, but have been deceived and hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and moved out of Christ and are no longer sharers. Now, here's where it gives us great clarity and where we find this key hermeneutical principle, this key principle of interpretation, how we can understand this once saved, always saved, perseverance of the saints, loss of salvation, being in Christ and then coming out of Christ. What does that even mean? Watch. For we have come to share in Christ if. There's your hermeneutical principle. You say, what? How do we know if we were ever sharing in Christ? If indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. As it is said, we're going to use the same word today. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, the same application of the todayness of the exhortation of the brothers is applied in the continued ongoing holding of the confidence in the same manner, in the same way, in the same today. What I mean by this, we have convinced ourselves in the evangelical church largely that salvation consists of a one and done and I got saved yesterday or five years ago. Many of you have written in your Bibles your salvation birthday, your born-again day, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. Don't hear me saying that there's no use for that or there's no meaning to that. What I'm saying is this, is that if you are not believing today, then it calls your belief yesterday into question. Does that make sense? Do you see it in the text? Take the same application. And I'm going to take your favorite, most famous verse, and I'll show you the exact same thing that's been glossed over so many times. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, we're going to get to the text here in just a moment that's going to show us that God's steadfast love and ongoing consistent flow of blessing was pulling and drawing to the, to the Israelites 
day after day after day after day after day for 40 years. And they were stiff-necked, unbelieving, unregenerate every day, all day, continually. Even though, even though they were the people of God. They were in the nation. They were a part of God's people in an outward, visible way. But internally, they were not true Israel. They were unbelievers. And that's why they were found out in the end. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. The, the ongoing nature of believing, well, I'll submit it to that way. The ongoing nature of believing is to be, to be a day-by-day believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Check this out. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 16. The verse of salvation. For God, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Some of, you pre, some of you quoted KJV, and that's okay. <laughs> they shall never perish. <laughs> Did you know that the, um, when it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, do you know that's a present active indicative? It actually literally would say that all those who are continually believing in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It is those who are believing in him in the moment, those who are believing in him right now. So therefore, if you're believing in Christ yesterday, supposedly, and you're not believing today, then your unbelief today calls into question anything that you did yesterday. It proves your unbelief. It proves that you were never truly born again. And we'll bring in some other text for that. So let's move on. And let's kind of show, and, and what I've looked at in uh, verses 16 through 19 is this idea of, this is a picture <clears throat> within, this is a picture within a picture. This is a, a microcosm, okay? This is, he's bringing in the Old Testament here to show us that it's, it's always been this way. It's always been this way. Hebrews 3, 16 through 19 for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Those who heard and yet rebelled. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Now, I want, I want to show you this. What is he saying this for? It's because it's obvious that <clears throat> these were the people of God. This was the nation of Israel. This was his people carved out for his name, for his purposes. He demonstrated his rich kindness and blessing and overwhelming uh, love for them they experienced the blessings of God the God he, he set them free from Egypt he parted the Red Sea he brought them brought them out in great demonstrations of loving kindness and steadfastness and he loved them and he he did for them he blessed them he walked with them he provided for them yet we that it was those for who were those who heard and yet rebelled was it not all those who uh, that who left Egypt led by Moses those were the ones who rebelled. Those are the ones who, even though they saw, they felt, they experienced, they tasted, they tasted the good things of God, they were not, they rebelled. They did not receive Christ. And I want to show you this here too. This unbelief here will be very important. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? So you see, there's two things going on here. There's two things. The blessing and the provoking. The blessing and the provoking. The blessing and the provoking. You see, God, and I title this here, the Lord is kind and merciful, patient, and full of love. Psalm 145, 8. That God is continually pleading. He is outstretched hands. He is longing for you. He is calling for you. And, and we understand, and we'll get into this next week in chapter 4, but we understand that the works of God have been finished from the foundations of the world. He rested. He was done. That God has decreed what will be. A lot of people don't want to acknowledge that. Because they think it negates everything else. But we have no problem acknowledging both. That God has both finished his works and he 
rested. He's done. He has decreed what is to come to pass. But he is also working in real time in real people to do real things. He is calling them in this time. Haven't, have you not read that today, today, while it is still called today, do not harden your hearts. His works that are completed finds its realization in what you are doing today. It matters. It matters. Though they experience the ever-present goodness and kindness of God, they refused to accept anything but wrath. They did not want God. They took his stuff, all right. They took his place. And the only reason, now they would go up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Why? Why? It's because when God was providing what they wanted, when they wanted it, and how they wanted it, we're good, God. As long as you will bow down and do what I tell you, when I tell you, we can be okay. But as soon as God had placed restrictions, commands, processes that they didn't like, they lifted up their voices against God and cursed his name. He said, I'll provide you manna, partake of it in this way. I'll provide you water, partake of it in this way. I'll provide you a law, follow it in this way. I'll provide you escape, respond in this way. And they said, thank you, forget you. Thank you, forget you. Thank you, are you kidding me? They want God's good stuff, but they won't submit. Does that sound familiar? How many Western evangelicals? have led people to salvation. Some of you are, think I'm going to be, are thinking I'm being overcritical, but open up your minds for a moment, please. And think about the parallel. Think about what we're doing when we tell people it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't, the rest of the Bible, don't worry about that. Listen, just come get God's good stuff. What you do after that, we're not worried about that. Just don't go to hell. You choose which parts of the scripture you like. Let me read from Luke here. Is this one good for you? I don't like that. Well, hold on, hold on. How about this one? Is this one okay? Is this one? That's better. You got anything better than that? Can God do better than that? Well, hold on. How about this one? How about this one? Okay, now I can get on board with that, but the rest of that junk, no. Nah. Okay, well, just believe in this one, okay? As long as you just, listen, just, just this, this one, it's okay. Do you not put them in the same exact position that Israel was in when they were in the wilderness? Demanding that God bend to their will and their desire. And then maybe they, they would give him the privilege of being their God. You see a problem there? You see a problem with this text here? That, that connects their life and their position to those who are in the church today. Remember, he's talking to New Covenant believers. He says, take care lest you be like them. Lest you think that you're a part of the body of Christ. All of the while to realize that you never, you never made it into the rest. You never, you never made it into the place that God was calling you to go. Why? Because though he was steadfast, loving, kind, merciful, pouring out blessings, you despised his blessings and you demanded that he bow down to you instead of you bowing down to him and be grateful for what you've got. <clears throat> they chose sin over blessing. They chose self over God and they chose wrath over rest. The disobedient man has proven his unbelief by his rebellion against God. I'm going to show you that, and we'll be done. For him, you guys actually come on up. For him, there remains, I'm, I'm serious too. <laughs> for him, there remains no rest to be had. For the unbeliever has chosen an everlasting work. This is important. Why is it that they have no rest and they only have wrath? Is it because God 
withheld blessing and forced them to sin? Was it because God had determined before the foundation of the world, before Israel was ever created as a people, that he was going to harden them and make it in such a way that they really wanted to obey him, that they really wanted to follow, but mean old God closed their eyes and shut their mouths and smacked them away when they were crawling toward him? No, no. That God poured out. He poured out blessing. He longed for them to come in. He did the work. He, he walked the path. They walked 40 years. Well, guess how long he walked? 40 years, baby. 40 years to the day they breathed their last. So what does it mean when it says that with whom he was provoked for 40 years, was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? It was them who experienced the blessing. It was him that he was in steadfast relationship and longing and pursuing for 40 years, and they continued to provoke him with their rebellion. They continued to snub their noses at him, to, to, to shun him, to, to, to just absolutely just refuse to bow down and submit to him, even though he was pouring out kindness after kindness, after opportunity after opportunity. He walked with them for 40 years, patiently waiting and waiting, longing for them to see that the blessings were new every morning. And they had everything they need. You know why they hated it? Because they couldn't get all that they wanted. You know what happened when they took too much manna and stored it up for the next day because they didn't trust God to give it to them again the next morning? It rotted. Maggots. You know what was God was trying to show them in that? Is that his blessings are new every morning. And that you can't live on day old bread. You need the fresh bread every morning. You know why? Because it's today that you need not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. And you know how many days you need to not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion? As long as it is called today. You know how long it's called today? Every day that you can wake up and think on that day, it's today. The rest of your days that you actually wake up in, you will know as today. So when you get up in your new today... Look back to the one who was faithful yesterday and who will be faithful tomorrow, which will then be today. You can trust him. He's faithful. He's good. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. All who eat of him will never hunger again. So you know what that means? Is that, that in the Old Testament, they drop manna from heaven day by day. But in the New Covenant, Jesus Christ comes, makes a way so that you'll never be hungry again. You'll be filled up full and you will not ever sway from the truth of the living God. Because the, the bread that Jesus offers is filling to the degree that it outlasts the rest of today's into the ongoing today, which is called eternity the everlasting blessing of being one with the Lord Jesus Christ who removes all the darkness and all the night and makes it so that we are never ever hungry again to whom did he swear why did he swear was he cutting them off because he was sick of it I had this wrote up there earlier but I took it off the reason this swear is there and he swore that they would not enter their rest, why? Because God is an inheritance too. Because God is perfect. Because God is light in him there is no darkness at all. God has swore an oath by no one greater. He swore an oath by himself. Why? It's because God would not compromise as they compromised. But God would glorify God forever. And all of those, including all of you out there, now you listen to me very well. Let's all stand to our feet. Please listen to me. Just like in the days of old, there are some of you in this room right here that you have experienced the blessings of God. You have tasted the manna. You have seen the true effects 
You are part of the visible church. As I look out in this congregation, I can't look at you. You don't have a blinking sign on your forehead that says, false believer, false believer, false believer. I have no idea. I look out there. I make, I make calls for salvation for anybody that would respond to the gospel, and nobody comes. So I'm, the only thing I can be left with is that these must all be believers or they don't care. Okay? So... What I am looking at is the church, as far as I'm aware. It's the visible church. But there are some of you in here, and you know who you are. You know because you've examined yourself, and you know you don't love Jesus. You know that you're not in, in love with Jesus Christ, and you want him to rearrange your life, to follow his every whim and every word, and you're in love with the word of the living God, and you want to read it front to back, back to front, because you know that without his steadfast love and enduring patience and kindness, and without the word of the living God, you have no idea how to walk in this God, and you want to. You want to love Jesus every day. You want to know him. You want to know what he wants from you. You want to know where to walk, how to talk, where to step, and where not. You want him to make your path straight. You want him to, to, to make straight the paths in the desert. You want him to, to, to light your path, right? You want him to cleanse you from all impurities. You want him to help you to love your wife and to love your husband. You know that you have no way of knowing anything apart from the word of the living God. You know that you are in, you know, oh, you just want him. And there are some of you in like, Man, I just came today for the snacks. <laughs> or I just came today because my wife really wanted to come. And, you know, that's cool. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. And you said some prayer at Vacation Bible School 15 years ago, and you are thoroughly convinced. This is not funny. This is how my mama was. Is it not, mama? Raise your hand if it's the truth. She testified that she, when she was... However old, she said some prayer in vacation Bible school, and she had banked on that for years and years and years. Now, was she really saved then? I don't know, but I know this. Up until the day that she gave her life over to the Lord Jesus Christ, there was zero, zero assurance for her and zero assurance for me. And there was no way that I could know, and I was almost sure that she didn't love God. She'll tell you she didn't love God. There was no transformation. But if she would have died up until the point that she turned her life over to the Lord Jesus Christ, who knows what would have happened. There was no, there was no fruit on that tree. There was no, no, no love. There was nothing. And some of you in here are in the exact same situation. And you've, you've convinced yourself that you're a believer because you said some prayer. But now you've heard the truth. And you will not, please you hear me. I'm not trying to scare you, maybe a little bit. You will not be able to stand before the living God who examines and, and, and peers into the deepest depths of the heart. You will not be able to stand before him and say, well, I said my prayer, I didn't know, I didn't know. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And if you stand before God, if you stand before Christ, and you think that because you came in here and checked the box and you sit and listen to some guy yell about some stuff and you thought that you had done your duty, you had performed your task, now God give me my stuff and I'm going to go home and I'm not going to think about you again until next Sunday but at least I've done what I needed to do. If you think that you're going to be able to stand before God, before Christ and say, well Jesus I went to church. I paid my tithe. I even went to prayer group from time to time. I read my Bible like once a month. I did it, Jesus. Even if you say, I read my Bible every day. Will Jesus look at you and say, well done, my good, and come in here, boy. I, I've been knowing you for years. You didn't just meet Jesus. Some of you will meet Jesus for the first time on Judgment Day. And I'm scared to death for your soul. You know whether or not you know him. You know, do you love him? Do you get with him in the alone times? Do you go into the lonely places and in the dark and you snuggle up next to Jesus if you think I'm crazy? If you don't know what I'm talking about, then praise God, examine your soul, please. This is not a church function. It is not a hobby. If you have come here today and you think I'm crazy because of what I'm saying, then I plead with you to get crazy. You, you don't, don't stand before Jesus. Don't, when you stand before Jesus, 
He said, this is what your heart cries. I'm so happy to see you. I've waited so long. I've been talking to you so much. It's so good to finally see you face to face. Jesus, can I please come and hug you? And he's already got his arms wrapped around you. He's like, welcome home, my child, my brother, my friend. But then some of you have come here and you've checked that box maybe for 40 years. And you're going to stand before Jesus like the prodigal son with your list in hand. And you're going to think like the prodigal thought. That you're going to read off this list of things and this list of of stipulations and and these things that you are willing to do and these things that you have done. You should say, you know, this, 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 this. But it'll be too late for you to come home because you had made your choice and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to look at you and say even though you cast out demons you went to church you prayed he'll say I, I, I never knew you I've never met you before wait a minute what what did, what did you say your name was again I don't, no, I'm sorry, you're not, but, I, but you know me, you know me, I'm the one that started that Bible study that time, you know who I am, I did all these things, you mean the time, I did all this. look, I, I'm not, you know, I just don't know you, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I've never seen you, I'm, I don't know you, get out of here, you know who you are, you know who you are, don't stay who you are. Become one with the Lord Jesus Christ and become the new who you should be. Please. All right, that's enough from me. Pleading for your soul. I'm pleading for your soul. You don't have to be perfect. You just got to know him. Just come. Come. Come to Jesus and do work. Come to Jesus and submit. Come to Jesus for he has done all the work. Please. Please.